We're on. Okay. We're good? Okay. Luke chapter 14, where we're going to be at. And I just wanted to share a couple things, just exciting things in the church here that are happening. Uh, those of you that got to participate in the Trunk Retreat last Thursday night, it was, uh, it was a, a great event. There was, I stood near the door. I, there was, I did have a bad experience. I've got to confess this, okay? I had a Dallas Cowboys shirt on, and, and one of the brothers in the church here came up and said, Hey, you dressed up as a loser. And I thought, Oh, man, come on, man. Yeah, so Coulter Roscos will come forward and repent afterwards. And that, no, it was, it was good. Um, but I, I stood near the front and just caught people that came in and, and greeted them and, and uh, tried to plant some spiritual seeds. And, and for people that, uh, that are not of... There were several from the Bozeman Church that came over and participated and some uh, helped out with the event. But not counting those, just counting people from our community that showed up that are not a part of the church here, I counted 105 that walked through our door. And so that's something if we, all of us can just pray this week that who knows what type of seeds were planted that, that God may be working and doing something in their lives uh, this week um, and, and who knows when because who, know, who knows how things like that work but maybe if someone gets in a, in a situation in life where they've got a lot of uh, heartache and pain and start figuring out, wait a minute, well, I'm doing things doesn't work and I've got to figure out where I can go to find some answers. And I remember when I took my kids to the trunk retreat, those people were kind to me. I'm going to go back. I'm just going to see what I can find. And so we can just uh, just quietly, as a, as a group, continue to pray for, for the, the seeds that are planted during that event for good things to happen. And also, coming up this next Sunday, we have our annual Thanksgiving meal. So there's sign-up sheets in the back, and instead of having our, our potluck afterwards uh, assembly like we usually do, we'll have it at 5 o'clock in the evening. And there's, uh, everybody is welcome. You're welcome to bring friends and guests. And this is just a great time for us as a community to come together and, and give thanks um, as, a, as a church. And uh, everybody is welcome to participate in that. And, and just, uh, again, just an awesome time together. There's something about coming together, isn't there, that's, that's amazing when we're able to come together and to share meals together and share food together. And here, Jesus is going to talk about the great feast of the Messiah, the great feast of God. The scripture that Luke read just a second ago is an Old Testament reference to this, and we'll come back to that. But the Jews were waiting for this great feast that was going to come at some point in time. And in the meantime, just like us now, for them, it was something of importance when people came together to be able to eat. There were not restaurants. There was not an Applebee's here and a McDonald's there where people could meet up and have a meal. And so it became something that was very, very important, something prestigious when you invited people over to your house to be able to share a meal. And so when we look at Luke chapter 14, I'll start reading in verse 1, it says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Okay, a couple things to note about what's happening here is, is that in Jesus' day, like a lot of places in our world now, we're different, and, and we'll see. I think Jesus and his message has influenced our society a lot in this. But there is, when you went to a meal at somebody's house during the time of Jesus, it was very much people of the same social class, the same economic class, and the same religious background. That was common. And so people that were invited over to their house were, were people that they saw themselves being similar to. So it was not common for somebody to say, hey, there's some people that are 
They're poor over here. I'm going to invite them over to our house. It was, it was very different than that. It was, it was something that you just met up with people that were similar. In addition, Jesus is at the house of a prominent Pharisee. Okay, so the Pharisees understood that they wanted to go the distance with God. During the, in the Old Testament times, a person who was a priest or who served in the temple had to live at a different level of purity for about six weeks out of the year. And the Pharisees looked in the Old Testament and said, wow, if the priests were supposed to do that for six weeks out of the year, what we're going to do is we're going to do that year-round and we're going to maintain this purity year-round. And so anybody that came to eat at the Pharisees' house, that group was very, very exclusive. It just wasn't ordinary any Israelite. It was very specific people that had a, a very high standard of how they were keeping purity, way beyond what the old law said. And so the fact that Jesus is invited over to this Pharisee's house says something about Jesus and just how he presented and how he kept himself. And so he enters into this, this uh, situation and he is being carefully watched. This is not a friendly meal where everybody's happy. They're watching Jesus and, and they are uh, pretty critical. Now look at verse 2. It says, There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Okay, so there's a couple of moral issues that Jesus deals with here. And here's the first one is Jesus asks this question because he knows people are watching. And here's this person there that, that is sick, that has swelling. Um, and the question that none of them are saying right here, but they're, they're wondering, is Jesus going to heal this guy on the Sabbath? Because healing is work, therefore he can't work on the Sabbath. Therefore, if he heals on the Sabbath, that's going to be wrong. If you go back a chapter, and we just brush through it quickly, uh, in chapter 13, Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath. She's there at the synagogue. And, uh, and the synagogue ruler says, Hey, come back if you want to be healed. There's six days to be healed, but don't do this on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, Well, wait a minute here. If, if your ox or something falls into a, a pit, you're going to pull that ox out. Okay? So why not do good on the Sabbath? Why not heal? On the Sabbath. And it says that the people were absolutely humiliated. So when Jesus asked this question, I'm sure they've heard of this, this episode in the synagogue before. Jesus just asked the question, is it good to heal on the Sabbath or not? And nobody says anything. And really what Jesus is asking is, is it doing the greater good? What's most important here? Because Jesus doesn't take issue with whether healing is work or not. But if someone needs healed, that's the greater good. That's Jesus' point here. So is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Then he asks another question is, would you rescue your animal on the Sabbath or your child? That's the second question there. And Landon pointed out something really, I think, really neat this morning in class. Um, Landon's, a, just as a, as a side note, is, is God's developing him as a, as a really amazing Bible teacher. And I've, I'm continuing to learn things here. But he talked about a number of times Jesus, or questions are asked in the New Testament and how many times Jesus asked a question and just left it there. And, and basically, I don't remember all the numbers, but that Jesus used teaching. The point was that Jesus used questions a lot as a way to get people to think and a way to teach. Is that a fair assessment, Landon? So about half the time or so that questions came up, Jesus is leaving those open-ended to be able to teach. Is that correct? Okay, good. 
Awesome. Awesome material. Good to think about. And so Jesus does that here. He says, would you rescue your animal on the Sabbath? Well, they know the answer to that. And so if I rescue my animal on the Sabbath, how can I say that I should not rescue some person on the Sabbath that has been hurting? Why is it wrong to heal on the Sabbath? And that's what Jesus comes across here. That's what he, gets, that's what he wants people to understand, is that, yes, you can heal on the Sabbath. It's fine, all right? Do good on the Sabbath. Quit getting all tangled up about this. Do good on the Sabbath. And he continues on in verse 7 with another moral issue. And he says, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the seat of, of least importance. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when you, your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so the moral issue here that Jesus is talking about is pursuing social status. Okay, this is, is somewhat foreign to us. But in Jesus' day, when you came into a room, it was understood exactly where the most prominent person and most important person socially was going to sit, and everybody else would fall into place there. Uh, how many of you have, have watched the movie Pride and Prejudice? Raise your hand. Oh, Mike Baker raised his hand. Uh, there, there it is. There it is. Okay. The, Mike Baker admitted he's watched it. I will admit that I've watched it, okay? It was not my choice, but I was there when it happened, and I watched it, and I got drawn into it, okay? But Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen, during the time that she wrote in England, there is very much a social hierarchy. You can see that in those books. You can see that in the movies. Is that there's things that you do and there's things that you don't do depending on who you are and what your social status is. I know the book that I've told some of you about, The Places in Between, about a guy who is actually a, a, a government official in England now, a very high-ranking government official. When he was young, he walked across Afghanistan right after the Taliban uh, fell. And he talks about going into homes with people and everyone knew in that society where the most prominent person was going to sit and where everyone else was going to sit. And so Jesus goes into a situation like that with this prominent Pharisee that is there. Everybody is lined out in order around this table and Jesus says, you know what? When you go to a dinner, don't go in and take the place where you think you belong. Take a place that is way further down. And if someone honors you, and, and then, then great. But just think about what that does. Think about what that shows people. Uh, the, what you don't want to do is go in and take the most important seat and then be, be humiliated. But I think what Jesus is, is most interested in here is that when we host people, we invite and do so to bless instead of impress. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And can you imagine the early Christians during this time? Can you imagine them uh, walking into meals and situations where people are, are fumbling over who's going to be at the most prominent place, who's going to be the most important place, and the Christians just go in by himself and takes a place that is the least important and does so smiling. 
and gets up and serves other people and helps out. And people are looking, wait a minute, this guy's a prominent person. Why, why is he doing something like that? It rocked the world. And I think our society, there's, there may be in your homes where you go and um, you have a, a certain place that you sit, but if somebody comes over to your house and sits in your normal spot, I doubt any of us are going to say anything. It's just whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just a table. And see, Jesus' teaching has had a massive impact on us, even as a society. There's something I found here, and I think this is, can be said, it can be read better than I can say it here, so I want to share this with you. It says, and this is in the, the subject of table fellowship and eating together and that. It says, Jesus is seen eating with a wide variety of people in Luke, including crowds, Mary and Martha, his disciples, Pharisees, and tax collectors. In other words, while the Pharisees practiced an extreme exclusivism, Jesus practiced radical inclusiveness. Because of this, the Pharisees regularly criticized Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus intentionally violated all the Pharisees' eating traditions. He ate with the wrong crowd, ate with unwashed hands, criticized the practice of sitting according to status, encouraged serving instead of being served, and encouraged inviting to one's banquets those who could not repay, such as the poor and disabled. In doing so, Jesus turned every meal into an acted-out parable. Every meal that he participated in was a parable that he showed in some way. An acted out parable about the standards of the kingdom of God. His followers in Acts engaged in the same activity, most clearly seen in Peter's evangelization of Cornelius. When he returned to Jerusalem, this criticism he received from some Jewish believers was there, there was, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. How could you do something like that? And that's really what Jesus showed, is that he was willing to walk into the house of people they were different than what society would have told him and sit down at the table and serve and eat with them. He was fine with that because he was after something much, much more important than the social norms and ritual purity of the society that he grew up in. Let's uh, go back to this passage that Luke read here just a minute ago. This is a passage from uh, Isaiah chapter 25. And I'll read this, because there was a lot of discussion, and you see it pieces of it here and there in the Old Testament, about this great feast of the Messiah, this great feast of God, uh, when, when everything, the Messiah came back and everything was as it was supposed to be. And, and this is one of the big texts that uh, is used to refer to this, this uh, feast. It says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. And the Lord has spoken. And so people and scholars talked about this. They wrote about it. They... They philosophized about it. They dreamed about it. What is this great feast of God going to look like someday? Isn't it going to be amazing when we're able to sit at the table with the best foods available? And it says God is going to take away the shroud that divides people. And isn't this going to be amazing? Isn't this going to be awesome? And there's some writings that survive from the time of Jesus and just before that talk about how some of the Jews, anyway, understood this what this was supposed to this feast was going to be about. And basically what comes up over and over again, and I think we spent some more time with this when we went through some of this in, in, uh, in Mark, 
a couple of years ago, is the idea was, at least among many, is that God was going to throw this great feast and the Jews were going to come to the table and they were going to be able to be there and sitting and participating in this great feast and this great fellowship with God. But when the Gentiles come in, God would slay them and their blood would flow into the table while the Jews sat at the table and ate. And so what it became in popular culture was the feast of God was going to be a place of judgment and destruction for, for Gentiles. And it was going to be where everybody comes full circle and realizes that we as Jews have always been right. We've always got it figured out. We're there. We've got it. And so that's the context that Jesus is speaking into here. And look at verse 15. It says this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Okay, Jesus is talking about inviting all these different people to come. Let's, you know what I'm really excited about? Is I'm really excited about this feast in the kingdom of God. That's what I'm excited about. This great meal that's going to come where we fellowship with God. There's great judgment that comes, all that. And look at what Jesus has to say. He replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everybody is now ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And understand, a field wasn't bought in a day. Oftentimes it took years in order to buy a field to see what type of productivity and all that was, was going to happen there. So is, is everything going to fall apart? If you don't go and see the field today. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So five yoke of oxen is ten oxen. That's very wealthy. Is able to afford that. Verse 20, still another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So Jesus uh, says something that would have quieted the dinner party a bit. Because their perspective was, the Jews are in, everybody else is out, they're punished, all of that. And Jesus' perspective is, you know what? You guys have been invited. You religious leaders, you Pharisees that I'm eating with, you know the law. You've been invited. You've been able to walk down this road a long time. But you guys keep making excuses. And so what I'm going to do, and what God is going to do, is he's going to invite anybody and everybody. And some of them are going to accept. And the point being is that all are welcome in Jesus' kingdom. The question is who's going to accept. But everyone is welcome to come to the table of God. And I can imagine as the people sat there thinking, oh man, wait a minute here. Jesus doesn't know what he's saying. He can't. How, how on earth is that possible? You bring all these strange people in here that don't have their great dietary laws. They might have problems. They might have sin in their life. They might have all of this stuff that is creating, oh, what if they, what if they sit something down on the table and then I go over there and eat at that table and, it, and I become unclean because of that? Jesus, you can't do this. You can't say this stuff. 
But Jesus is continuing to make very clear to them what his kingdom is about. Remember last week we talked about how there was uh, Jesus said, the road's narrow to come into my kingdom. Not because God doesn't want everybody to come in, but because most people in our world are going to say, mm, no thanks, I'm going to do my own thing. And he shared last week as well about how you're going to be surprised who's in heaven. <laughs> you think you've got it dialed and you don't. Because God operates differently than you do. And he comes here today to share something even more clear about his kingdom as he's sitting at the table with these Pharisees and these religious leaders. He's saying, God's not so concerned about the things that you are. God is saying, everybody is welcome no matter where they come from. If you accept an invitation in the kingdom of God and make no excuses, then you're welcome. There's a lot of things, that, uh, a lot of directions we could go here and, uh, and talk about. And I was thinking about how, um, how many times, uh, how many of, of you at different times have, have, have made an excuse about, you know you were supposed to do something right and, and had an excuse for not doing it in some form or fashion. Yeah, yeah we tend to, to be that way. And, and it's real easy to blame everybody else and everything else for, for our own shortcomings or whatever. But in the end, uh, sometimes there's, there's times where um, it, it's hard to follow Jesus. Uh, there's times that we find bump, bumps and bruises. There's, there's people around us that call themselves Christians that oftentimes don't behave that way. You know, all of us have experienced something like that. But in the end, it does not change what Jesus did for you and me. That's it. It doesn't change. No matter what happens, it doesn't change what Jesus did for you and me. And so we've got to decide, am I going to be a person who makes excuses and says, well, you know, I've got, you know, I know I need to follow Jesus. I know I've, he wants me to, to love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love my neighbors myself, but that just seems like way too much. And so I'm going to pursue all sorts of other things. And I just, I just don't think I can go down that road. Now, Jesus' point is, you've been invited You've got to accept. You've got to decide you're going to walk down this road. And your life groups, uh, you'll have more time to talk about, about those questions here. But the thing that, uh, that, that I want to finish with, and this, uh, this fits in with what Landon taught during Bible class this morning, um, is here's some good questions to ask. Okay? And I'm going to contrast these with some poor questions. And basically the questions that the religious leaders of Jesus' day were asking. And, and I think they, they, they're asking our, our world as well. And so it's important for us to, to remember to ask the right questions. Probably not a great idea to continue to ask, how can I prevent others from doing good? How can I be in charge? How can I control others? How can I enforce traditions? How can I do... That's the, the religious leaders ask those sort of questions. But Jesus is asking us to ask this question... How can I do good today? Today, not tomorrow, not next week, whatever. How can I show Christ by doing good today? A bad question to ask is, how can I promote self? How can I make myself look good? How can I be as popular as possible? How can I have the most important place around the table? The best question is, how can I bless someone else today? How can I look around and see how I can bless someone else today. Another question that's not a great question is, uh, who can I exclude? Who can I avoid? <laughs> who doesn't fit my bill of what uh, a worthy person looks like? 
The better question is, how can I help and welcome others into the kingdom of God today? Um, Jesus' kingdom that he came and he brought to the world absolutely rocked the world of his day. And I'm someone I and I don't know how you would ever ever come up with a study that, that, that dealt with this or say this with confidence. But the comment was made is that um, if Jesus did not come, our world would look something like the world of Mad Max, another crazy movie out there. Just total discord, you know, people doing whatever is right in their own eyes. So you read the book of Judges, that's kind of what things looked like during that time period. But when Jesus came, he changed things. And part of what he did is sharing... My kingdom is not going to be a kingdom based on rank and position and all this kind of stuff. I want everybody that wants to to come into my kingdom. I'm going to welcome everybody that comes into my kingdom. And so as we are sitting there today, I think all of us, if you're, you're thinking, man, I'm not, sure, <laughs> I'm, not sure how I, I'm not sure I'm worthy of being in God's kingdom. I'm not sure that I don't know what, what this is all about. But I, I just, I, I don't know, this sounds good. Okay, eternal life, forgiveness of, of all the wrongs I've done, um, Holy Spirit to come and live in me and transform me to be different. And, and boy, that all sounds good, but boy, you just don't understand the things that I've done. Don't buy it. All that is, is Satan whispering in your ear. That's all it is. Because as Jesus is sitting around this table of religious leaders that thought they had it all together, he's saying, no, <laughs> that's not how this works. In my kingdom, everybody is welcome. And as followers of Jesus, our job, as we look at these things here, is to ask these questions. How can I do good today? How can I bless others today? Who can I bless today? And how can I welcome others into God's kingdom today? And be part of the solution to... Uh, to, to share the abundant life of Jesus that I've experienced and I continue to live. And if you're a Christian already, but you just feel like, man, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, man, I'm not where I need to be. Well, use today to be the day that you say, all right, I'm going to recommit today. I'm going to go deeper with God. I'm going to ask myself these questions. I'm going to find ways that I can bless the people around me today and show them the abundant life of Jesus. If you'd like to become a Christian, you're welcome to head to the back. Or you would like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head to the back. The elders are waiting there back, back there to pray with you and to walk us alongside you with whatever burdens you may be carrying. Let's stand and pray together. Let's sing together. We'll pray.